Yeah, I remember getting uh, about oh, no, 120 kilo of King George Whiting in this shot, and I I just thought I was oh, this. I said this is what I want to do. This is this is the best feeling. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> this is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The Spencer Gulf is a triangular inlet of the Indian Ocean, indenting the southeastern coast of South Australia between Eyre and York peninsulas. Its maximum width is 130 kilometres and overall length 320. Mangrove swamps line the eastern shore and marine fibre beds the western. This body of water, along with other Gulf waters, is unique because of South Australia's latitudinal position and lack of significant rainfall and freshwater input. The Upper Spencer Gulf is one of the most environmentally important areas of South Australia. It has large expanses of seagrass and South Australia's largest stands of mangroves, plants which provide substantial primary production for the use of other organisms, including recreationally and commercially important fish species. The major fisheries in the Upper Spencer Gulf are for King George whiting, yellowfin whiting, garfish and snapper. In addition, there is a major nursery area for the Western King prawn fishery. But the area is especially famous for its southern calamari and bluesome crabs. Port Broughton is a small South Australian town located on the northern extent of the York Peninsula on the east coast of the Spencer Gulf. It's 170 kilometres northwest of Adelaide and although it has a population of around 1,000, is famous as the home of one of the largest blue crab fisheries in Australia. There is one family in Port Broughton who are synonymous with the blue crab fishery. The Barnes family were early pioneers of the fishery and have a multi-generational commitment to preserving both the region and the crab fishery. Adam Barnes and wife Christy own and operate one arm of the Barnes fishing dynasty from their home in Port Broughton. Uh, I'm Adam Barnes, uh, fourth generation marine scale fisherman and blue crab fisherman. I think my great grandfather, um, he jumped off a boat in Port Lincoln and went up the coast and went fishing at um, Port Neil, and they were line fishermen there, I reckon. And th- they were boat builders as well, so they used to build like wooden boats. And um, when they, when the fiberglass industry went to came around, and no one wanted wooden boats anymore, they used to use their boats to go fishing. And that's when they got really serious into the fishing, and and it went on from there. <laughs> so they all fished out of Port Broughton and built boats. And then as time went on, became all full-time fishermen. My grandfather and f- father and all his, all his brothers and his uncle, they were all uh, fishermen out of Port Broughton. Like many fishing families, being part of the daily fishing operation as a small child is often more about after-school care than it is about being part of the crew. But it certainly sets many young fishermen on a path. Oh, my earliest memory of fishing was... Oh, it was probably... Oh, it must have been... Four, I used to help Dad and stuff, uh, pulling nets around the yard. Like he'd be putting, pulling a net off a boat or something like that. I used to be out there helping him. He'd always be making nets and and stuff like that. So I um, used to always try and copy him and do all of that. And then when I was about six, I reckon I remember going out with Dad at um, Chinaman's Creek at the top of the Gulfs. And it was me, Dad and Mum, because Dad didn't have a decky for this week. And I was six out and Mum must have been looking after me on the boat. And... All I remember is this garfish just everywhere, up to my knees, right to the inside of my legs because I was only so short. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. 
So from that time on, all I wanted to be was a fisherman. I used to, granddad and nana had a little boat and I used to play and I used to make out to uh, cast the net out of the boat and catch all these fish and yeah, it was just excellent times. For a young bloke surrounded by an extended family of professional fishermen, there was a certain inevitability that Adam would find his way into commercial fishing. But taking the first step was still a major leap of faith by both himself and his family. Um, it became a career. I, I used to, I, when I was uh, younger, I used to walk, walk around. My, my uncles and that lived next door and stuff like that. And I used to always be around talking to all the fishermen and stuff like that. And, um, on weekends and stuff, I'd get a ride on whichever uncle or grandfather or anyone would want to take me. And then when I was 14, Dad said, right, you're leaving school. <laughs> and, yeah, I worked on a boat with him for four years, crab fishing. And then um, in 19, was it 1996, so I've been fishing four years, I, I bought my um, net licence. And it was, yeah, away from there. <laughs> and then 10 years later, I bought my own uh, crab licence because, yeah, it looked like a good thing to get back into. Yeah, I've never had another job doing anything else. Um, it's, yeah, it's all I know how to do. <laughs> so there's not, not much else out there I can do but teach someone how to make nets or, um, yeah, fix motors or something like that. <laughs> the blues from a crab is widely distributed throughout the inshore waters of South Australia, particularly in areas with extensive sandy bottom and seagrass meadows, such as the Upper Spencer Gulf. The blues from a crab is one of the tastiest of all crabs, with a rich, sweet flesh that has a bright iodine zing, making it popular with both chefs and consumers. The crab fishery started in 1985. There was um, six experimental licences uh, given to, from the government, and my family had three of them, so they were pretty keen to take it up and give it a go. And, yeah, they developed the pots and all that. And the crab fishing's done all over the whole Gulf. Um, yeah, from like two metres to, to 30 metres. So it depends on what time of the year, what temperature the crabs, the water temperature is and where they're running. You can um, get them in all those depths. We leave, we leave to go fishing in the morning. Uh, we do a three-day trip. So we leave, we leave at uh, 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, you get out to the gear, you run through the gear. You, the gear's made up of... Uh, 1.9 metre round crab pots. We have two pots per line, and yeah, we, we run 85 pots on our licence. And you, you, you bait them, set them, and you just haul them every 24 hours. First of all, you, you shake the crabs out of the trap. They go straight into ice water. You uh, rebate the pot, reset the pot. Um, dip them out of the, the slurry, grade them into their grades for the Sydney Fish Market or wherever else they're going. And, yeah, just keep repeating pretty much through the gear. Once the crab's selected for cooking, we drop it back into another basket, goes back into ice water to kill it right off, completely dead, for about 40 minutes, 30 minutes. Drop them into boiling water. Um, goes into boiling water. Uh, you bring them back to the boil, simmer them for 10 minutes, and then you pull them out, drop them straight into seawater to chill them back down. Then they're packed into their bins and iced down and ready for market. Most of them end up in Sydney Fish Market and in the Melbourne Seafood Centre. And a few, few, few go into Adelaide. 
The marine scale fish fishery in which Adam fishes operates in all coastal waters of South Australia, including gulfs, bays and estuaries from the Western Australian border to the Victorian border. The restrictions on gear and fishing practices innately make this an artisanal fishery, demanding that the fishermen maintain the highest quality of their catch to ensure a good return. The thing I do most is uh, um, is whole net, net fishing. So we have uh, long shallow water flats, like, it's like we have three, three to four more nautical mile of mud flats in places, and it makes it excellent for net fishing because with being a net fisherman, you're not allowed out over five metres deep of water, so you need more area in under that depth. It's a long tapered drop off down gradually, which makes it easier for fishing. So basically what we do, we've got 600 metres of net. We basically go to the low water mark. We shoot the net out in a straight line and we uh, power haul it around. So basically we tow it with the, with the motor of the boat, tow it around into a circle, reverse the boat in, just reversing it in, pulling the net up till you got down to a little tiny circle and then you persane the fish into a big pocket bag. So all the fish stay swimming around in the pocket and you're just all, all, all still alive, all living. Then you hand pick out or braille the, the, the fish you, you like to keep and release the ones that you, you don't need or that are undersized. It's very good little fishery. It's very unique. It is the unique environment of the Upper Spencer Gulf that produces some of the tastiest seafood to be found in Australia making it a popular location for both commercial and recreational fishers alike. The method of commercial fishing ensures only the target species are caught and the quality is maximised. Well, my, my primary target is usually southern calamari, um, garfish, King George whiting, yellowfin whiting, snook, leather jackets, tommies. Um, uh, we catch fly rays, uh, all different sorts of stuff. It's, yeah, it's pretty selective. They're, they're caught, they're dipped out alive, they go straight into a, uh, an ice slurry, so they're basically killed instantly. And yeah, they, you won't get much fresher. The restaurants and stuff, they seem to love our quality that we produce compared to um, a lot of other stuff they can get, so works really well. Bucking a trend can be risky, but in commercial fishing, it is best to have more than one option to spread the risk. Uh, I was sitting around the table at my, my family has, uh, my nana used to put on these Monday night teas and all the uncles and cousins and aunties would come around and uncles, they'd all come around and um, we'd talk fishing and I'd just hang off every word. And I said to the uncles and that, I said, oh, I'm going to go net fishing. And they all, all looked at me because they'd all got out of net fishing and into the blue crabs. And they all said, you're mad. Why would you do that? They kind of closed the net fishery down. And I thought, oh, yeah, um, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'd pull on with net fishing. So once I'd, uh, uh, Dad supported me. He said, um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll get you a net licence and we'll see how you go. At this stage, I wasn't working on a net boat. I was only working on a crab boat, but I'd been for a couple of rides with one of my great uncles. And, yeah, I got into it there. It was quite daunting having to sort of learn because, yeah, it was a little bit tricky to start with. <laughs> My dad was uh, jumping off the crab boat and coming out and teaching me basically the basics. And my great uncle, my, my great uncle Bob, he uh, he jumped on the. I bought his license and he did oh, probably two months with me on the changeover period from when I bought it off of him. So that's where we we learnt to sort of 
get the basics. <laughs> my first shot of King George Whiting, I remember I was, yeah, I'd been out there and my Uncle Bob had just gotten off and I'd, I'd gone out and I'd shot this shot. I didn't actually really know where I was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember getting about oh, no, 120 kilo of King George Whiting in this shot and I I just thought I was, oh, this, I said, this is what I want to do. This is this is the best feeling. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Australia's fisheries managers have been at the forefront of protecting the marine resources around the country. Many fishermen will confirm that their fisheries are in excellent shape, and whilst no two days may be the same, with supply dependent on seasons, weather and even moon phases, the robustness of the fish stocks seem to be as good as ever. Yeah, I... Uh, the stocks are like uh, up and down over that, that time. Like you, every year, there's there's something that really sticks its head up and says, "Yeah, I'm here" because the seasonal conditions are right. And uh, some years things are down. It's but the overall they go up and down, and it's yeah, we are where we are. It's yeah, we're still catching our quota and stuff like that pretty pretty nicely. So no two days are the same. Um, yeah, you, you go out, you learn something. Like new, most weeks you learn, you think, geez, that's that's different. And um, some things don't appear again. Like you'd be, you'd be steaming, you'd be driving your boat along. And you know, I caught some fish there 20 years ago. I caught some fish there. The weather was about the same. The year was a similar year. And you go have a shot and bang, they're there. It's like, they haven't been fished there for 10 years. But they were there on this weather. And this stuff seems to amaze me how they can just be there in, in those places and and you have to recall it from that many years ago. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Fishing is the number one pastime in Australia. It would seem a natural extension that there would be plenty of enthusiastic amateurs wanting to enter the world of commercial fishing. However, the limited number of licences, ever-growing costs of entry and operating a commercial fishing business and an uncertain sovereign risk that comes with owning a licence to harvest a wild resource there are many deterrents for the next generation of commercial fishermen. There's, it's pretty hard for a young guy to come in now, especially the cost of quota and um, and all that. It would be nearly impossible for me to start. Like, used to just buy a boat and a boat and a license and a ute, and you could go fishing. But now, buying quota, I don't, I don't know. Unless you're born into it, I'm not sure how you're gonna you're gonna do it. <laughs> I've got um, two boys, and I'm hoping that. One of them will be a fisherman. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, time will tell on that one. But um, my young, my young fellow, he is that keen. He's out with me. Uh, can't can't keep him out of the way. He's he's into it. <laughs> I, I really can't see many coming through. Like it's sort of just so much money to to go fishing. It's yeah. It's it's unless, like I said, unless you were born into it or you foster someone into it, like you you, you train them up yourself and just to learn. What we're doing is, yeah, it takes years. <laughs> the warm waters and abundant sea life of the Upper Spencer Gulf make it not only a great place for humans to hunt for fish, but also for the great white shark. It's funny, it only happened yesterday, the white spot's bringing to mind. Um, yeah, it was, uh, we just uh, finished the shot. We've uh, just pulled the net up. We've just sorted all the fish out of the pocket. Just, just finished doing that. We're just picking the net back up and... Uh, my deckhand, he's, he's leaned over the front, he's unhooking a rope and he looks down, there's a 13 foot white pointer in about 1.4 metres of water sitting right there just circling around the boat. This happened only yesterday and it's just amazing. He only jumped off the front deck into the water. He's jumped that eye when, he, <laughs> when he's seen it. But 
yeah, I got some amazing uh, photos and that of it. It was awesome. <laughs> Was, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen plenty out snapper fishing and um, crab fishing in the deep water, but I've never, never ever seen one right in that shallow. That's I've, I've got nets off props in that depth and stuff like that, and yeah, <laughs> won't be doing it there anymore. <laughs> With a growing awareness of how special wild caught seafood is, including an increasing return on their catch, the future looks good for artisanal master fishermen like Adam. The restaurants I do sell too, they. Because we don't process, we don't have a processing facility. Um, like the, the trouble, I'm, I think the, the chefs and that they they struggle to because um, they take the fish off me whole and just scaling fish and stuff like that in their in their um, in their um, restaurants in their kitchens. It's just it's probably not ideal. <laughs> so I'll start selling um, scaled fish and a few things like that. It's, yeah, the, the future is looking good in the in the blue crabs. That's all looking good, um, I could, and as well, I could uh, see in the far future. I, I see myself like my boys running the business, and I'm sort of doing the role that my grandfather did. I think that's that's what I call like retirement, and just helping out where I'm needed, and that's that's what I want to see my um, business become and move to eventually. The shortening of the supply chain, the influence of social media and an ever-increasing interest from chefs to get to know where the seafood they use comes from is creating opportunities for both catchers and cooks to form valuable relationships. It does, however, require work from both parties to, to ensure a good outcome. They're really good to work with, the, the few restaurants I do supply. It's, it's a great relationship. There's, nothing makes you more proud than when you... You walk into the restaurant and you, you sit down, you see the chef, he takes you out the kitchen, shows you what he's preparing and then he sits you down to what, what you've, what you've um, produced and it's just, yeah, you feel pretty proud of your fish when you realise how, how, how special it is and I just, I just love every bit of it. Um, it's just, it's the whole thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's just being out in the, the morning's the best time of the day. We have the best um Sunrises, like the Flinders Ranges background, is just just amazing, and yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. Like <laughs> one of the few fisheries left where it's still really enjoyable, and you got a good life. Small artisanal master fishermen play a vital role in supplying Australia with premium local seafood. Christy and Adam Barnes are part of this important group of fishers working closely with their fishery, the environment and their customers to ensure a sustainable supply of premium wild seafood. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.